0: Welcome to Video Store. I am Sam Mulberry, and today we are going to be talking about the 1982 film Tootsie. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks. Barrett, uh, this I think is the first time that I've seen this movie, although I feel like it was a movie that was sort of around ambiently in the 80s in my life. So I think there are definitely scenes from it that I have seen um, that seem to go back a long ways. but this is definitely the first time that I sat and watched it in anything like its entirety. Uh, what is your history with this film?
1: Well, I, I do remember seeing it when it came out, uh, in 82. Um, and I I remember it being, uh, very, very well received. I remember thinking it was pretty brilliant myself. And then I revisited it when I was teaching uh, several years ago, I was teaching a course on Shakespeare and film. And, uh, one of the things I tried to do in the course was, uh, show some, uh, I guess you'd call them cinematic analogies to, to Shakespeare, uh, not just films about of Shakespeare uh, plays. And so when I taught Twelfth Night, we watched Tootsie in connection with that. And so, and that and that's when I was surprised at how well the film held up. Um, and that would have been 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. So yeah, so to me, it's always a film I, I've paired in my mind with, uh, with Twelfth Night as kind of that, the quintessential gender bending
0: comedy. So, if people aren't familiar with Twelfth Night, what uh, what what is the connections?
1: Yeah, so in Twelfth Night, you have um, a story of twins, a brother and a sister who are shipwrecked, uh, and the and the sister disguises herself as a as a boy, uh, and takes uh, service in, uh, uh, in in the court of of, of, a, la- of a lady, uh, and the Olivia and Olivia uh, actually falls in, in love with her. Um, and very much like the the Tootsie uh, uh, situation with, uh, uh, with Julie, uh, so and and then the the brother shows up about halfway through the play, and the um, young uh, and and the woman that uh, the sister is serving falls in love with the with the brother, um, and so you have so you so you have this the, the situation where the you and the, and then there's the Count Orsino the, the gentleman. Uh, who uh, thinks that the woman in disguise is a boy, uh, but when discovers it's a girl, presto chango, he he decides he's gonna marry her. And Mm -hmm. then uh, the lady who's developed a relationship with the sister in disguise as the boy, when the actual boy shows up, she marries him. So uh, it all turns out, it all turns out fine. Um, But one of the things that happens in the course of the play, which is also true in Tootsie, is you have, um, because of the disguise, you have um, people revealing things about themselves that they never would have otherwise. So both the Count Orsino thinking he's talking to a man uh, says things to the young woman that he never would have said if he realized he was talking to a woman. Um, So that's one of the ways in which I I think Tootsie more so than a film like like something like it hot uh, really kind of takes this notion of playing a different gender and I think goes a little, Quite a bit more deeply and in more psychologically complex ways, uh, into that territory.
0: Well, that's one of the things that I that I found really interesting in watching this was uh uh Michael Dorsey becoming Dorothy, like is not the joke of this movie. Mm. You know, like 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 I mean you you get the initial, I mean, Dustin Hoffman is somebody that people have seen in movies before. So you get that initial, like, oh, that's Dustin Hoffman, but it's not um That's not constantly the, I mean, this is a, I was struck by how funny this movie was. Like, Mm -hmm. I really, I really thought it was, was very funny and I wasn't necessarily expecting to, to find it funny because I, I think I was going in thinking Dustin Hoffman dressed as a woman was going to be the, like, that's the big joke. And we're just going to keep making that joke. But it's like, that didn't seem to be the, that wasn't the core of the comedy of this movie. And I, I was really impressed by that. Mm -hmm. Um, so who was Dustin Hoffman in 1982? If we're like for him to do this role, what, uh, who, where, kind of, where was he at in his career?
1: Yeah. You know, a couple of things about, about Hoffman. He was, he was sort of hitting his mid-career stride. Um, he had, uh, been nominated for, uh, his, actually he'd won his first Oscar about four years before in Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, and then a couple of years before that he had been in all the president's men with Robert Redford, uh, and, uh. You know his breakthrough role, of course, was back in '68 in The Graduate, and then that was followed by Midnight Cowboy, um, and and the role that he had previous to this that most that made me think most of him doing Tootsie, I'd totally forgotten he was in an Arthur Penn film called Little Big Man in 1970, uh, and he, in that film he plays a character who ages from being a teenager to being 121 years old. So hmm. the, so the notion that Hoffman can play a range was pretty firmly entrenched. So he was I he, I would say he was marquee uh star certainly by the time this came out people would have gone to see it to see dustin hoffman
0: so in you know and p- part of one of the things that i want to think about in this in, in as we talk about this um and we can go into this in a little bit but like how different this movie plays 40 years later uh because i don't think it's a movie that's necessarily aged badly but i think we probably and maybe i'm wrong i think we maybe watched this movie a little bit differently in 2020 than than we did in 1980. Would you well, agree with that? Yeah,
1: yeah, and that, that's a really interesting point, Sam. I think in 1980, you read this as a woman's liberation film, right? And this is all about Dorothy, uh, which, of course, I don't know if it offended feminists or not, but the notion that it took a man playing a woman to actually liberate women, but but I think it's very much a women's lib film, as we would have said in the 80s. I think today, I I, I see it much more as a film about identity. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, and and gender identity. To me, that's really, that's one of the things that's really interesting about the film, because I'm not sure that's what they were thinking about necessarily, although it's in the script. So that's how, to me, it kind of, now it reads at two, at two different levels uh, that I'm not quite sure it would have read at uh, in, in the 80s.
0: Right, because the scenes that jumped out at me as the, the funniest and most interesting are the scenes where, um, Are some of the scenes where michael is often where he's talking to his agent and michael is sort of really it's all it reminds me of jack lemon a little bit sort of embracing his uh his uh, his role as daphne where he's just he's talking to his agent about getting dorothy other roles and his agent (laughs) keeps pointing out but you're not her and he's like i could do so much you know as a woman i could do so much to say this and this and he's like but you're and he's like i could speak to other women like me and it's one of my favorite sydney Pollock lines where he says you're not a woman like there are no women like you. you're not a woman and and those those play I mean they're they're I think probably timelessly funny, but it is interesting to think more of um, in in 2020 we might think of a person who really is trying on an identity and embracing that identity more than that maybe read in 1980.
1: In in and that particular conversation, of course, reminded me of the exchange between uh Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon where he says, You're a boy, you're a boy. And and at one point he says, I'm Michael Dorsey, I'm Michael Dorsey. Yeah, and of course Dor- yeah, Dorothy takes on a whole other uh ident- I mean a whole other reality for him. Uh as he says at the end in his final conversation with Julie, I, I miss Dorothy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um one of the things that I also and, and again, I can't view this through through nineteen eighty-two eyes, um, because Uh, the first time I saw it was this week. So um, one of the things that I was interested in watching this was how much, although Dorothy's at the center of the frame and Dustin Hoffman is in every shot of this movie, basically um, how much to me, this, this movie felt like it was about all of the people in Dorothy's orbit more so than it was about Dorothy, Michael. And I'm wondering if that's a, 2020 reading of this movie or if that would have been in 1982 how somebody would have looked at it
1: yeah that's a, that's a, that's an interesting perspective sam no i i i think I, as i remember my first watching this film i remember being ju- very interested in bill murray's character very interested in terry Garr's character very interested in jessica Lange. um so no i think it i think it, pl- I think it, it did, did play that way uh, as a kind of an ensemble cast mm-hmm. even though hoffman is kind of at, at, at the center um, the, the, other, the other character that I would have paid a lot of attention to then and, and now, uh, but within the 80s context would be Dad Nick Coleman's character, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the, the chauvinist director because he just two years before had been um, in nine to five, you know where he is kind of the quintessential uh, male chauvinist pig boss that gets us come up in some Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin. So um, I think th- th- all of those characters really kind of have their own uh, they have their own arc in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the Bill Murray character's got an arc in terms of getting his um, getting his play produced and um, uh, Terry Garr's got an arc in terms of establishing herself as an actress and Jessica and Julie has an arc and, in terms of finding happiness. So I think the film does a really nice job of having um, significant interrelated subplots that they come back
0: to Michael, but they also stand nicely on their own. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even think a character like Les... Um... Julie's father is such oh, a yeah. such a rich, interesting character. I mean, you don't, he's not in it a lot, but um, I, I felt my, I found myself feeling for the people in Dorothy's orbit um, more so than I felt for and it might, and it might be because Dorothy, Michael are the engine of the movie and they're switching identities and these types of things. And you're watching, you're understanding the impact of that by looking at how it is affecting these other people's lives. Um, but I ended up feeling like there were characters I felt just deeply bad for in what, to what they do to this, do to them in this movie. So Les is one of them. Um, uh, Sandy is, is, is another, I mean, Sandy gets, uh, is treated pretty poorly in this movie. And, and yeah. And,
1: you know, so one of the things I I think that's a good point, Sam, because, um, he's hurting people. Uh, and he has to deal with that at the end, right? He says, I, yeah, I, I just did it for the work. I didn't mean to hurt people. And of course, there, there's a, I mean, I realize you doing it for the work is a very actorly thing, but it's also a very male thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, got, you got to work. That's your identity as identity a man. So because i had seen the film at least two, maybe three times before, I, I found myself really wincing uh, in anticipation because I, I, I knew what was coming between him and Julie uh and it's really hard it, i knew it was going to be hard to watch and it, it it is hard to watch um because it's a very it's a very deep betrayal
0: uh-huh. um
1: and we'll have to talk about that when we talk about the end of the film of course but it's a very you know it's a very deep betrayal um and it's it is full it's full of irony some some of which is, is a little bit humorous but it but it but it cuts so you know when when julie uh tells dorothy uh in the scene on the couch When she says you know you taught me how to stand up for myself how to be myself because you are always yourself you don't live a lie i mean it's sort of funny ironic but it's actually more almost tragic ironic
0: yeah and i i also the the scene um when he goes and talks to Les after the big the big uh revelation like that's a that's a scene that they they needed to put in this movie. I feel like, but it's a scene that maybe doesn't always get put in there. And, and it, what I loved about it was I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what less response was going to be. I, you know, it's, I, I, in part because of the setting of that, that they're in this, you know, upstate bar, which is a little more rural, maybe a little rougher around the edges. And it's like, if anybody in that bar knew what the what the conversation was that they were having <laughs> what it was really about it's like it's a it's something that that would have seemed very awkward for that setting and it was actually like it was it was touching and moving like 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 kind of how they they in a very uh male sort of way tried to wrestle with okay how do we deal with this thing that happened you know this you know, and and this this relationship that was built, and you know, and and I think that was that was a really interesting scene. It must have been interesting to write and think about. Like, okay, well, what what do they? What do you say to someone at this point?
1: And I and I, and I loved Les's line. The only reason that you're still alive is because I didn't kiss you. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, let let Les, Les demonstrates his basic decency, I guess. Uh, but but you but what's interesting to me, Sam, and I I don't know enough about the the shooting of the film to know if this is on the editing room floor. But to me, one of the problems or one of the flaws is that a parallel scene with Sandy doesn't occur. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems to me like that's, that's a, that's a thread left hanging don't fully that I don't don't fully understand. Um, Yeah. It
0: seems like all that she gets is a part in this play. A part in the
1: play. Yeah. And I feel like he owes her a lot more than that.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because, because the darkest scene well is it the darkest scene a very very dark scene maybe the darkest scene is something which uh starts as a joke where where when when he's over at her place and she's in the shower and he starts yeah. to try on the clothes and in order to get out of that lie does yeah. a pretty horrific thing yeah. and it's like oh i want to sleep with you and and it's and like that and that sets up it it sets up a tension that ruins a friendship and that um maybe tries to create some comedy a comedy runner throughout the movie of like what am i like 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 so now i have this other obligation and it's and you know and it's there's lots of there's lots of stories where comedy comes from people trying to hide something or cover up an initial lie but that one just was 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 very dark and there wasn't really a uh a resolution or, or it just felt like we we needed some we needed something else with her and yeah that is interesting i wonder if that was if that scene was written or not
1: yeah and and, and i mean and he's he's really initially hurt her from the beginning by getting the part that she that she couldn't get and you know and, and he convinces himself that by by lying he's he's sparing her pain um so yeah so it's a real ethical i mean he's really been put himself in a deep ethical hole
0: um I, another thing that I, and this is maybe stepping back a little bit from just some things that I, that I really uh, found interesting. I I mean, maybe it's because I am a teacher, but this, the movie opens with Michael teaching class and I loved those scenes. I thought that was, so, and, and it was intercut with him um with him auditioning and, and failing auditions so we get to sort of see him as an actor and then teaching acting and I, one of the things i was listening to the um the unspooled podcast they did an episode on tootsie and one of the things they pointed out that i missed in that is that throughout the teaching scene he's giving all of his students very specific advice and then when you see him in his auditions he's not following any of his advice and it's actually leading to him not getting parts you know so so in those in those scenes he's saying things like listen to what director wants give the director what they want don't do this (laughs) and then it's just like and then you see him like doing the exact opposite as as, you know as he's working through those auditions or or things like that but i loved i loved the teaching scenes like i could have um and maybe as again i just like when people write classroom scenes somehow but like i I was really drawn i like that it started that way because i i i was in i was instantly interested in um interested in him because i mean one of the critiques uh that on the unspooled that they were talking about is that they're like is is he actually a good actor or not because you know it's in the same way it's hard to show good writing like a good writer in a movie very often when you do that or art like when you see the the, the art or the writing somebody does in a movie, you're often like, that's actually not very good writing, but we're supposed to believe this person's a great writer. Um, so, that, so there's a little bit of that, maybe with some of the, the acting, but I feel like the classroom stuff makes me feel like this guy is really intense about the craft of acting. He's somebody mm-hmm. who takes it deeply seriously. So those scenes helped a lot with that, I think.
1: And and, and he and he does follow his own advice in the sense that he, he tells the students, if you can't make the part part of yourself, you can't play it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think one of the things that he does embody about his own acting advice is he fully commits to a role, uh, and I and I do think that um, Dorothy is a good actress. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I think I think that helps. I mean, I, I he he for me he did disappear so much into that role that I I really forgot it was Dustin Hoffman playing Dorothy. I really I really saw her as Dorothy as she played as she played those parts.
0: Well, another interesting thing is they didn't do other than maybe once they didn't do the scene where he had to, I'm thinking of other, like uh, other stories like this films or TV shows like this, where he's constantly having to switch back and forth between the, like that would, that's like the easy kind of farcical joke. And they actually don't do that in this. I mean, the yeah. closest thing is when um, Sandy comes over and and he and uh, he and Jeff, she's outside trying to get in and he and Jeff are trying to buy time to hide this stuff. But, um, but I I, I, I like, I found it interesting that they Again, they didn't make the uh, the easy jokes, you know, and instead you had uh, another I think really funny scene is after um after Julie breaks up with uh, with the director and they're at Julie's house and they and um Dorothy Michael kind of comes on to her and then she's like, oh no i'm not I'm not a lesbian And then the scene again where he's talking with his uh his agent about trying to because this is another great identity scene where he's like, so she thinks you're you're you're. She's like, no, she thinks Dorothy's a lesbian. I'm not, and, and it's just like trying to figure out. Like you get so deep into this that that, um, and it's also pointing out. It's it's a it's a scene that allows them to just lay out. Here's the complexity of the story that we've just created. Is we're gonna we're gonna actually point out all of the different lines that are connecting there.
1: Yeah, I mean, at one, at one point I wrote down that he's he's a, he's a lesbian. He's gay and he's straight. Right, um, all three of those things. Um, but you know that one. One other. One other. Really, I think sophisticated or a really funny joke they get out of the situation. Back to what you're saying about uh, buying time when uh, Sandy came over. I love the scene where they can't answer the telephone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just- and, and, and of course, then you think, "Wow, what a different world we live in!" Because you know, you got a caller ID, and you can, and you know, and you know who's calling. But I just the, the way they sat there, and they just you know couldn't answer because no, 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 no answer, no answer would, would have worked.
0: Um, another thing that I loved about this movie, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, him, but um, I loved bill murray in this movie i didn't know bill murray was in i think you said it at the end of last episode i will say one of the things i think this is the 30th movie that we've watched Um, i think when we started this project if you had asked me about bill murray as an actor i'd be like you know he's really funny in like i really like him in wes anderson movies and things like this i maybe am not just familiar with the breadth of work that he's done entirely but i am constantly gaining an appreciation for Bill Murray in movies like I thought he was great in this and it's um it's interesting the um there was a this movie has a lot of tension between the people creating it I, because Hoffman is in some ways the creative force here Pollock is in some ways the creative force here um, and, and it just seemed like, like from what I, I listened to and read about this, that there was constant tension about sort of who was going to ultimately have control. And it seems like in the Bill Murray scenes, um, at first Hoffman, like, didn't want Murray to take attention away from him in the, in the scenes. And Murray kept pointing out "You're Dustin Hoffman dressed as a woman. Nothing I do can take <laughs> attention away from you. He, in Murray talks about how he needed to teach Dustin Hoffman. That's like no matter how big I get or how like whatever I'm doing. Cause I think Bill Murray also like improvised a lot of the stuff that he did uh, in here that no matter what I do, it's going to, it's not going to be too much because of how heightened everything is that we're mm-hmm. doing. Um, Which is really, which is really, and I think he pops off the screen, you know, uh, every, every scene he's in. And even if he's sort of a periphery character in a scene, because he also is a character that, you could take, you could edit him out of this movie and you wouldn't, you would lose a lot because you would lose this really great part of it. But this movie would entirely still make sense right? if right. you didn't have him in there. But, but, but it's just like a, it's like a, 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 this side dish that just enhances everything else in it.
1: Yeah. And he's, he's helpful to the plot, right? Because, um. Uh, Michael says he's doing this for the money. So Jeff can get his play produced. So that helps to leaven a little bit, the sense that Michael is uh, kind of a selfish jerk. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I also, again, these are, it's, it's probably because they're just, these are actors that I don't always have a lot of experience with. I really loved Terry Gar and, um, uh, I'm blanking on who plays Julie, <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, Jessica Lange. Jessica
0: Lange. Yeah, yeah. I I I really loved them. I thought they uh I thought it was I thought especially Julie how much they without ha- without having a lot of her, they developed ver portions of her story uh in really interesting ways. Um and I just I I just really um both of both of those actresses were people I was really drawn to. So it was interesting to think about um in uh, at the Oscars that year, they were both nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress, and Jessica Lange won, um, which is I think pretty rare when some when they when a movie splits just yeah. to have to have one of them win is pretty rare because even if you thought this was this was the movie, you know you're 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 pulling between those two
1: yeah uh, Terry Garr was this pretty much kind of mid career for her um She had been in uh, young Frankenstein one of one of her breakthrough roles and then she has uh, close encounters of the third kind uh, five years before Jessica Lang was coming off of Francis, I think um she may have been nominated for that as well so both of them are kind of in their uh, in their uh, just hitting their stride the uh, the other actress that shows up for a couple scenes um uh, including Michael's first encounter uh, in the women's dressing room it was, of course, Gina Davis. Right. Uh, and that's her film debut. Uh, and then she and Hoffman ended up 10 years later in another film called Hero, uh, in huh. which Hoffman also plays a kind of ethically dubious character. So uh, uh, I don't know if they've appeared together again after that, but they did reunite.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that Terry Garr gave an interview in 2008 with uh, the AV club. And it was sort of, a retrospective of, of different uh, roles she's played, uh, and she seems pretty critical of this movie. Um, <laughs> pretty critical of Sidney Pollock. Pretty critical right. of of what the what the movie is. Um, mm. So it's uh, I'm just gonna I'll just read a couple things here. I just found it really interesting, um, kind of what she had to say here. She said uh, she was talking. She was comparing uh, Tootsie and Mr. Mom, a movie she was in the next year, and she was saying well, that, that, that
1: was another great movie opposite Michael Keaton.
0: Right. She was saying, it's the same thing. Pretty nice girls being taken taken advantage of by slimy men. They put a man in a dress and he's supposed to know what it feels like to be a woman, but of course he doesn't. I think what Dustin says is, I realize how important it is for a woman to be pretty and I wasn't pretty. And then she says that's all you realized (laughs) Uh, don't quote me on this actually quote me. So she's critical of that. She says it's to her mind. It's a, it's a sexist movie made by sexist men. And she, she um, is really critical of Sidney Pollack. She says, you know, now that he's dead, I feel like I can say this. So, um, so she, she didn't, she she has pretty negative feelings um, about this movie. And it, and that was, that was interesting to, um, again, to, to, I kept thinking about how do, how does this movie play in '82 versus uh, versus 2020 because it feels like a very very 1980s movie in lots of ways in the themes in the way it looked and and I don't even mean like the way the people look or styles but there's something about the actual look of the movie and I don't have the language to describe exactly what I mean by that but it but I could see you know, three frames from this movie and 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 probably locate it almost exactly in the in, you know, between 1980 and 1984 or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to get back to what Cherry Garr says, um, I yeah, I, I think, you know, what, to me, one of the lines that stands out is it is at the end when Michael says, I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. And you can read that, I think, two ways. You know, you 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 can read that as um as a kind of uh as a kind of reinforcement of sexual stereotypes or gender stereotypes, you know, that, you know, women are sympath- sensitive and empathetic, uh, and a man can only become that way by pretending to be, to be a woman. But that, of course, just reinforces um, gender stereotypes. Um, or you can read that as a, as a genuine effort to say that, you know, if you step into somebody else's shoes, Uh, And you really will see the world differently, and you will end up with a much more kind of integrated personality. You know, that at the end, Michael, who has been a chauvinist pig, maybe he's not anymore. Uh, and maybe the role playing enabled him to do that. So I think it's a little. I mean, I wasn't on the set. Terry Gars, you know, she has more story right. than I do on this, this respect. But I still, I still feel like you can, you can read it. You can read it a couple different ways.
0: Well, and that leads to the question I want to ask: is is did, what does Michael learn in this over the course of this movie? Does does he have an arc? What what? How is he different? Or do you think he's different? I mean, this is we'll, we'll go back to the question I asked on our on our uh, the first movie we looked at is like: what does the next year look like? for Michael Dorsey.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, he, he gets a little bit of an opportunity to, to demonstrate that he's somewhat different. So we've already talked about the scene with Les, you know, the fact that he mm-hmm. acknowledges that he's, that he's hurt people. Um, but to be frank, I'm glad you asked that, um, Sam, because I have never been fully convinced by the ending of this movie. Um, and I kept thinking about, you know, going back to Twelfth Night. You know, in Twelfth Night, when the revelation is made that the, that the person who was pretending to be a, woman, a man is actually a woman, um, the, 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 line, the line that one of the characters gives is something like, um, nature drew me to its true bias. So the idea was, even though you appeared as a, as a man, the, the, the man is saying, I was drawn to you because underneath there was something in me that kind of knew you were a woman. So, so everybody in Twelfth might like, kind of laughs it off. Uh, and they say, well, you know, it wasn't that funny, but it turns out, you know, despite, despite the disguise, we actually ended up with having the genuine feelings we were supposed to have that reinforce gender identities. I don't think that Tootsie has that, it doesn't have that perspective on gender. So the only way that Julie and Michael can get together is if Julie is really willing to forgive what Michael has done to her. And I find that implausible. Um, And I feel like the ending is the ending because it's a comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because comedies demand, most comedies, not all comedies, Dr. Strangelove certainly didn't, uh, but most comedies demand a happy ending. And I feel like that's what it delivered. And I'm not sure that I think Michael uh, deserves the ending. And I don't think Julie, I I think Julie should keep walking. and I'm torn, right? Because you know, at one level, I'm emotionally satisfied that they're together after all. And so what he put her through and what he went through is, was worthwhile. But at a level of um, emotion or even emotional, even psychological damage, she's actually just been manipulated by one more man, um, even more, I think, even in an even more destructive way. And she's got three men in her life. We never see the first man, right? There's some we mm-hmm. share a child with somebody, we don't know the story. And then, and then, and then we've got Dabney Coleman who's cheating on her, and then we've got Michael who has betrayed her deepest confidences. Um, I think if I were her, I I might say I'm not going to be in a relationship for a really long time because I just don't think I can trust these guys.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I because I hadn't seen the movie, I I got to the end really not knowing. Even when when we get to the that end scene as it starts, I was like, I have no idea what the tone, of, like, and, and it, it actually does affect the whole movie to think about the tone of, is this, does this end with her walking one way and Michael walking the other? Does this end with them getting together? Does it end with that? And it, I mean, it ends with them walking down the street and it's a little unclear. I mean, it like you can, there's an, I think there's enough. You can sort of yeah. say like, well, you know, maybe they stay friends and you know and again this becomes the the groundhog day what's the next day look like but yeah but it, but i was I, I was wondering like wow are they actually gonna do this this sort of darker ending that this was this movie where this character goes through all of this and now he actually needs to start processing it you know because it sort of feels like like it, like like the ending you get it's like oh i've processed it, i've learned it's like actually i think you're this is going to take you a little bit longer to sort of deal with what these last few months have been.
1: Well, maybe it's like the ending of great expectations, right? With Pip uh, Pip and Estella and the last line is I saw no shadow of another parting from her. Uh, so does that mean they never part or they never meet again? So yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about with this? Yeah. Just
1: uh, two, two quick things, Sam. One is I wanted to talk just in terms of how the movie was edited. I wanted to talk about the decision to first show Tootsie in full drag and then back up and show Michael the process of transforming into her. I thought that was a really candy decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's one of the iconic scenes in the film is uh, that Tootsie walking down the street and nobody's paying attention to her, but we see how self-conscious she is. as she keeps kind of primping her hair and trying to figure out if she's walking right. And then they back up to all the mechanics of of getting of of, of uh, suiting up as, as Tootsie. But that connects to the second thing I want to talk about, and that is, you know, one of the first images of Michael is is putting on makeup when he's putting on the false mustache for mm-hmm. his audition. And one of the things I think this film is about is it's about acting. And it's about the connection between acting and and identity. Um, And it's interesting to me that, and just to go back to Shakespeare again, um, the Puritans of Shakespeare's time uh, rejected acting, rejected the stage. In fact, they closed the stage, of course, once the Puritans came into power, uh, because they felt that acting was fundamentally hypocritical um and in fact that's where the word actor comes where the word hypocrite comes from so hypocrite's root is the greek word for actor hmm. uh and, and they even use, they even use scripture like uh the, the when when paul says that satan disguises himself as an angel of light so if the puritans to put on a disguise to act as something you aren't is to be fundamentally false so there's that that perspective on acting but then there's also pascal's perspective and uh, pascal's giving advice to somebody who's trying to figure out you know am i a christian or not right Pascal says, um, "Here's what you do: read the Bible, go to church, uh, do, uh, do 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 uh, acts of acts of kindness. In other words, act like a Christian, and you will become a Christian, and you will be a Christian." So, I think the film is really interesting to me because it raises those questions about what what does it mean to to perform a role? And again, as I think about a 2020 perspective of the film, in our society, we we really are having some serious challenging conversations about gender identity as performative Mm -hmm. uh that you know what your gender depends on how you socially perform it doesn't just depend on whatever genitalia you happen to have Uh, and so i i i like the way the film is engaging kind of those those questions
0: well and that's why i feel like like with all the problems that are in parts of it like I feel like it's actually aged really well because I think I think as you talked about like I think we do um it seems like it it sort of fits in to speak into our time a little bit. I, I was um uh on the Unspooled podcast. This and I recommend if if you're if you watched this movie and you're interested in this, the the conversation that Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson have about it is really good. And the guest they always have a guest on and the guest they have on is from uh somebody who who works in the drag community and it's fascinating because he's even struggling to sort of think about like okay how do we talk about what how do we even give language to what Michael's doing because and it's and, and it's probably a, within the the podcast episode's probably about um 80 90 minutes long and it's probably about a 20 minute conversation but it was fascinating to hear uh, and I, I'm blanking on the guy's name that they they talked with, but but he was talking about all of the different ways that drag is used, and um and you know how Tootsie speaks into that in certain kinds of ways. This is really interesting, you know, to see like like I don't know that this movie was thinking about those things, but it it helps to. Um, it fits into a conversation that we would be having in 2020 in that way. Yeah. Now, a uh, question that I have is, um, I, think, I think we asked in 1980 when, 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 when um, I Am Not an Animal came up in two of the Oscar movies, like, what was happening in 1980? What was happening in 1982? Because you have not only Tootsie, um, which, you know, Dustin Hoffman is nominated uh, for playing these sort of two parts. You have Victor Victoria. Um, comes out that year. You also have the world according to Garp, where John Lithgow is is nominated yeah. for a a, a a character that goes through a a, a gender uh, a gender transformation. What was happening in 1982? That I mean, was there something honestly? What was there something happening where yeah. these types of questions were coming to the fore?
1: I, I, yeah, that's a good question, Sam. I can't think of a specific event. So, I mean, obviously, the, the the women's liberation movement was kind of in full flower, but I think it was. I think this is. I'm really interesting. You pointed that out because I think that this is the point where the questions about women's liberation started to become larger questions about sexual orientations uh, and and gender and gender identities. I can't remember if there was any kind of catalyzing event. I think it's just it's. I think it's just kind of the the development of the of the social mores. And sometimes mm-hmm. Hollywood leads the way, sometimes it follows.
0: Uh, anything else you want to talk about uh, in terms of the movie Tootsie?
1: yeah, I just I just have to mention that p- people might uh, have recognized uh, the uh, the writer of the, of the film or the main writer of the film is Larry Gelbart. Uh, and Gelbart is best known for writing the television series Mash. Um He also uh, did wrote a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. and then of of interest to us at least because we've been we've watched Preston Sturgis, he wrote a uh, Broadway musical adaptation of one of Sturgis' best films called Hail the Conquering Hero. Uh, and the stage adaptation is called the conquering hero and it ran for all of eight performances. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: great. Uh, so what do you have for us coming up?
1: Well, okay. Here's the thing, Sam. I originally conceived of this as a three movie arc. I have one more movie on, on gender identity that I want to watch, but on the advice of my wife, which is always good to follow, I'm going to interrupt that arc and do something topical. Uh, because something's going to happen is happening in this country on Tuesday. Uh, something's been happening for several weeks in this country, so I'm a little late to the party, but I think for next week we should talk about uh, another Alexander Payne film ah. uh, and, and watch Election. Uh, I've not been back to Election since it, uh, since it uh, first uh, was shown. I think 1999 was the year that came out. So anyway, so let's do Election. Do, we'll keep in a comic uh, vein, but now we're going to do Politics.
0: That sounds fantastic. I don't think I've seen that since probably like 2001, 2002. So I'm, uh, I'm very excited, uh, very excited for that. Barrett, thanks so much for, uh, for recommending this film um, and for having this conversation. I really, um, this was a really interesting one. Cause like we said, there are some things in it that you sort of look at with a different set of eyes, but I do think this is a movie that, um, that sort of held up over time and like we said i think some of its messages are are maybe even more interesting now than they were uh than they were in the early 80s so that's all the time that we have for this week we will catch you next week in the video store when we talk about the film Election.